This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by Comic Book Click at tpublic.com. Visit tpublic.com slash user slash comic book click to get exclusive one-of-a-kind merchandise including shirts, stickers, and phone cases all designed by us. Get your hands on the latest and greatest in comic book merchandise by going to tpublic.com slash user slash comic book click. And remember, you, yes you, are worthy. Everybody out there in comic book land, my name is George Serrano, aka The Don, and if you're listening to this, you could only be here for one reason, and that's a brand new episode of the Major Issues Podcast, brought to you by ComicBookClick.com, and as always, I'm never alone. Sir, please introduce yourself. Oh my god, it feels like it's been so long. How's it going, everybody? It is Yogi here, aka Jonathan Escudero. I said that backwards, but it it's also been a while. still makes sense. <laughs> it's been a while. Everybody's getting a bit stir-crazy. We are with a nation, a, a, a globe, the world locked down with this uh, pandemic that is tearing through seemingly all of us. Uh I, I had to go and I had to touch down with my main man, Yogi, for a very specific episode, a, a celebration of sorts, 80 years of Robin. We're here to talk about the boy wonder in all his glory, all his incarnations and various portrayals. But uh, before we get into the nitty gritty, um, let's touch gr- base with the real world. How are you handling things Post-corona, I know that um, you were working at a comic shop. Can you uh, tell us about any developments that's going on there and what the issues are facing comics in general post this whole pandemic? Yeah, so for those that don't know, I work at a comic shop down in San Antonio. Uh, It's called Heroes and Fantasies. Uh, We hadn't really been affected by the virus too much in that the store was still open and we were still selling books and we had kind of just started to develop a curbside pickup thing when we got word that diamond uh diamond closed on their warehouse diamond being the only distributor of comic books in the entire country and when i say comics i mean marvel dc idw boom if you make a comic book it goes through Diamond, and if Diamond closes their warehouse down, there will not be any comics, there will not be any comic-related toys, any tabletop games, any trading card games. It's all halted. Yeah, I, I, think, I had heard, in- I had seen like the, the, the message, right? So I'm like, oh, is that like just like some big warehouse? So I like Google it, and it's like everything comes through here. Like all of it, is. this is where it lands, and then it gets distributed from here. And I was like... Wow, because, um, you know, for for the last four years, since Comic Book Click's inception, for the most part, it's been really easy throughout the myriad of things we've had to deal with in our lives personally and professionally um, to get go to comics. They're always there, you know, they, they, um, issue to issue from your weekly to your bi-monthly uh, um, stories and, and uh, story arcs. And the idea of that well drying up is not a comforting one. It's kind of 
scary, actually. Number one, it affects me directly because uh, with nothing being published, I don't have a job. Right. So I won't be getting paid until someone decides it's okay to make comics again. Yeah. Uh, number two, um, comic books in general, I don't want to call it a dying industry, but number-wise, it's kind of been on the downturn turn and yeah uh m- more recently and it's kind of scary to think what happens after all this is over like uh i'm sure a lot of these parent companies would have lost a lot of money and i don't know that comic books make enough money to continue being published in the way that they were before i don't know companies companies like marvel and dc putting out 60 70 books at a time 10 of them are selling 100,000 at most and I don't know that things are going to continue being the same after everything is, uh, I guess, over. Yeah, but, uh, that's all just speculation. No, I, no, know, I definitely it, get it. You know, print, print medium, the print medium as a whole, right, is in is in decline. You talk all the time about newspapers, magazines, etc. Um, I think mostly what's gonna what's gonna be the issue, and it's gonna be the same thing with like restaurants and stuff as well. If this does end up becoming a prolonged situation. I wonder what happens to the fan that gets used to the different way of doing things for a while. Because if I was going out, let's say, to my favorite restaurant every Friday and now for three months I'm not allowed to do so or, you know, it's been constrained to a point, maybe my new favorite restaurant becomes the restaurant in my kitchen. You know, if you can't go to comic shops to get your stuff and you maybe maybe more people move on to digital, which then kind of makes a comic shop obsolete in a way. Um, it, it, it's a dangerous exactly. game, but you know, they, uh, exactly. It, it's, we're going to have to see how it all turns out because no one has answers. I think that's the most frustrating thing about all this to be candid is that nobody like not your boss, not your boss's boss, our boss's boss's boss is the president. And he don't even know what the hell's going on. Like nobody has answers to this thing. And, um, when the world stops making sense, I kind of just go back to comics because even with aliens and uh, assassins and uh, coming back from the dead and punching reality, those things seem to make a little bit more sense sometimes. Yeah, absolutely right. That's why it, uh, I don't want to say I'm burying my head in the sand, but I just there's so much going on that we can't control that I'd much rather put my attention towards a universe where I know things are going to turn up good in the end. Yes. So sadly, like many others um, this month, uh, Dick Grayson has a birthday that isn't really celebrated because of everything that's going on in the world. So we thought we would do um, him a, a service and review that 100-page Super spectacular. I almost called it a giant. Super spectacular uh, dealing with Robin's 80th anniversary. Um, we're going to go story by story, character by character, talk a little bit about you know how we feel about these characters individually, and then the stories that are played out. I, I um, love the teams that are on a lot of these books. And after doing my research, I found out that majority of them had a big hand in shaping those characters at different points in time, yes. which is really cool. Yes, absolutely. That was one of my favorite things about the specials and and some of the specials that they do in the past. It, it doesn't happen for all of the 100-page giants, but when it does happen, it's really cool where they get creative teams that have a history with the character and they bring them back to kind of 
revisit that. It almost like a uh, like a nod to people who really uh, invested their time and money into the into that run. Like I know yeah. Chuck Dixon came back to do a story, and like I remember he was on Robin for or on the Robin book and on Nightwing for what seemed like forever. <laughs> so yeah. I'm sure people were excited to see him. Uh, same goes for a couple of the other creative teams we're going to be talking about later on, but I'll have time to gush about them in a second. <laughs> Let's gush about the main man first, Dick Grayson. Let's talk about Dick. Uh, it's the only time we'll be able to say that candidly. Um, my boy debuted in Detective Comics 38, and a lot of people, if if you if you don't have this off the top of your mind, you may think that Batman started off in Detective Comics 1. But he actually starts off in Detective Comics 27. So that's only 11 issues before they give him, like, his soulmate for life. Which is, not, that's a short amount of time, right? To figure, like, wow. 11 issues? 11 issues? Uh, I want to say a year later. Yeah. Just about. Uh, <clears throat> actually, you mentioned Batman being Detective Comics 27 being Batman's first appearance and not Detective Comics 1 the way some people believe. If you would Google Detective Comics 1 without knowing, you'll end up seeing this really racist image, <laughs> uh, which is the first cover of Detective Comics 1. <laughs> it's true. Oh, dear. <laughs> but yeah, one year later, one year later, we're introducing a child into the story because... We want to have the viewpoint of someone the age of the demographic of the book that was being written at the time. The kids that were buying this book needed a viewpoint, so we introduced Robin. Bill Finger introduced Robin and wouldn't get credit for it for, I guess, another almost 80 years. Yeah, I have his uh, co-creators as Bill Finger and Bob Kane. And you, if you don't know about that madness, we do a whole episode about that, our uh, Batman and Bill episode where we talk about that whole documentary about Bill Finger's involvement in creating all the Batman mythos and Bob Kane's uh, overseeing of such. Um, I think so. So I think a lot of the basis of the of the Robin mantle starts with Dick, obviously, right? And it's like you said, it's a child, um, a, a young, the youngest in the family of acrobats known as the Flying Graysons. Or Richard watches a mafia boss named Tony Zuko kill his parents in order to extort money from the circus that employed them. After the murder, Batman uh, takes uh, Richard in as his legal ward. Retcon later as adopted son in some cases, we'll talk about that in a bit, and trains him to become his crime-fighting partner, Robin. He is written by many authors as the first son of Batman, and as well as being Batman's crime-fighter, Dick established himself as the leader of the Team Titans, a team of teenage superheroes. Uh, can you remember your first um, memories of Dick Grayson, what you thought about uh, old Robin? Would you go, Did you get yeah. the young one, the old one? Would you... Uh, can you remember? So my first memories of Dick Grayson would be Batman the Animated Series. Uh, the Batman the Animated Series version of Dick, but also I uh, want to say it's Batman Forever. The yep, Chris version O'Donnell. of Dick that has <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that tape over the lips thing. Oh yeah. That, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's gonna be that that's stuck with me for like my entire life for whatever reason. Like that's my guaranteed protection against lip poison there you go wax <laughs> lips so he, he had it now he figured but it out. uh yeah so but m- more so the batman the anime series version of him i guess <laughs> i think the my like my first memories are like when i thought about the robin character i shot back to batman 66 
like all the all the pop culture stuff around that or like knowing that and the and the and the whap and the bam and all those sound effects and stuff and burt ward obviously bringing life to that iconic character um all the way back in in the 60s um but he the whole like he's the antithesis of batman in many ways he's he gets to be colorful he gets to kind of joke around he wears next to nothing <laughs> there's a lot going on with that character um <laughs> but what do you what do you like about dick's version of robin well dick's version of robin is the first he's the, he's the foundation that the other robins were built off of anything that i like in any of the other robins has some sort of origin within dick grayson yeah yeah um he gets a brilliant story or at least the first of many stories called a little nudge written by marv wolfman uh famously you know uh teen titans writer and art by tom grummet uh, so that story goes a little something like this. After a close call with Victor Zaz and some hostages in a church, Batman scolds Robin, Dick Grayson, and tells him he needs to follow orders, which Dick rallies against. Grayson says he isn't a child anymore. They suit up to stop a museum robbery and manage to get the drop on the criminals before there are any casualties. During the fray, an innocent child is hit with a stray bullet and Dick changes his attention to attending to the injured child. This effectively takes him out of the fight and leaves Bruce to fend for himself. A stern Batman tells Robin they need to talk when all this is over. In the Batcave, Dick says thanks to Bruce for raising him. Uh, oh, no, sorry. Bruce, uh, Dick says that thanks to Bruce, um, he never grew up wanting revenge. He thanks him for everything but retires the Robin mantle saying it's time for the boy wonder to become a man before leaving the Batcave. In his inner monologue, Bruce reveals that he always knew that Grayson was the best man he ever knew and knew his strict set of rules would cause Dick to pull the trigger on dropping the Robin mantle and make something of himself. What do you think of a little nudge? So that was cute. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, always, I always hate seeing Bruce be written as this... Uh, it, it it's like sometimes when he does this like subtle push thing, it, it's written like he's an idiot. Like it's yeah. very very easily this could have been uh, he could have just communicated to Dick uh, how he felt. Right. <laughs> but um, like it was it was cute. I enjoyed it. I thought it was cute. Um, so I have a bunch of. It, it's weird. I, I was talking to my roommate about this. I don't know if Batman's my favorite comic book character i don't know if i have a favorite comic book character but batman is definitely the person i know the most about and his family and his rogues gallery is the person like i know i know a lot of these characters almost like the back of my hand and so my issue with this story with dick grayson is this is is like the fourth time they try to write why he left why he got out of the out of the tree and it kind of rubs me the wrong way because the first time he was just like, you know what? This Robin thing is just kind of old hat. That's what he said in the Titans. He's like, well, you know what? I guess I'm just not Robin anymore. And then he becomes Nightwing. He creates that crazy disco outfit and he becomes Nightwing. Um, but in uh, in Batman, it was retconned that he got shot in an incident with the Joker. And Bruce benches him and is like, you're not. It's my rules, and I don't want you out there anymore. And because he gets benched, he that's right. He, he leaves the house, becomes Nightwing, and when he comes back, 
there's a little Jason Todd in his place. <laughs> and he's like, what the hell? I thought this whole thing was because, you know, you didn't want no more kids out there in your war. And yeah. So that's how I remember it, which this this almost feels a little bit unnecessary. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and file this in the non-canon folder there. <laughs> it reminds me of that story. Remember that story that we covered? Um, remember that story that we covered uh, for Batman's 80th with um, Leslie Tomsk- Tompkins? Like, it's just some random story where they oh, just yes. make Batman oh, feel yes. like shit. I think it was Detective Comics. <laughs> yeah, Detective Comics 1000. Uh, <laughs> they just add stories sometimes. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I like to see people uh, expand upon the lore. Other times, uh, it just doesn't land. This time, it didn't land. Uh, yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> no, it's exactly what you're saying. Sometimes it's expanding upon the lore. Sometimes it's almost diluting the lore, trying to stretch it, you know, and yeah. add more that that needs to be. Um, I think one of the most uh, pivotal things, besides being the sidekick to Batman, you know, um, is being the leader of the Teen Titans as Robin, big, big deal. You know, um, the Teen Titans get introduced uh, in the mid-80s and blow up because of the whole teen uh, aspect of the books and Robin as its leader. And then eventually, as a young man, Dick retires as Robin and takes his own superhero identity kind of to assert his independence. And he becomes Nightwing. And... As Nightwing, he becomes the leader of the Teen Titans, the Outsiders. Um, he becomes the protector of Bloodhaven. They even let him, like, kind of, like, he was the man about town, right? Like, New York, Chicago. It, like It should be it should be mentioned that, like, at one point, the new Teen Titans book by Marv Wolfman with Dick as the main character was, like, a bestseller, like, on top of the chart. Oh, wow. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Um, I yeah, I I when I look at Nightwing, he feels completely independent. Like you know, like I don't know what it is. Um, there's a lot of psychics that have gone I mean, that's on basically to what it is. Yeah, that's basically what it is. He's one. He's the OG character to go from a supporting cast to uh, and be successful at it. Um, yeah. I'd like to see more. More of that sometimes from both DC and Marvel. Right. And sometimes they do uh, stick with it. And other times they go back to the status quo, which is like, uh, I get it. But what I love is that <clears throat> Nightwing is Night- Nightwing and definitely in one of these other stories. Uh, you know, he uh, he basically expresses the idea that he could never be the Bruce Wayne kind of hero because he does not have the Bruce Wayne tragedy um, fueling him. Because he got the upbringing from Bruce. Um, and that changes the whole... Uh, everything. How he sees everything in relation to Batman. And so, as Nightwing, he's completely confident in his skills, in his in his demeanor, in his um, you know athleticism, all that stuff. But when he has to take on the mantle for Bruce, is when his that the subconscious starts to come in. And start to, starts to make him doubt himself again. Because he knows how to be Nightwing. But for a little while, he had to learn how to be Batman, and that was not that was a big shoes to fill. Shoes that he didn't even want to fill. Nope, <laughs> nope. But Jason was filling those shoes with blood, so if he didn't, if he didn't fill those shoes, there wasn't gonna be yeah. no shoes. Um, 
<laughs> Do, um, tell me about Cataclysm. Cataclysm, the legendary Gotham earthquake. I never actually read the story, to be honest. It's just been referenced so much in stories I have read ah. that I kind of know it happened. <laughs> okay. No, I definitely want to put that up on one of our schedules one day. I, it seems like a massive story, but I, it, it's almost like one we have to tell. But yeah, um, we understand that there I was mean, this... Go ahead, brother. I was going to say, I mean, it, it, it's always kind of struck me as this kind of night fall-esque thing where it's like Gotham is completely destroyed or whatever, and now we, uh, we're all excited about Two times ten years, Gotham was like completely destroyed. And <laughs> yeah. But um, I guess doing uh, looking it up, it was this old 18-issue crossover from 1998. That we definitely should uh, cover so that I can read it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So we can get a little bit more context into this story called Aftershocks, written by Chuck Dixon with art by Scott McDaniel. So during the Cataclysm event where a 7.6 earthquake hits Gotham City, and if anyone knows about Gotham, it's like very structurally unsound. There's like humongous <laughs> statues and, you know, like <laughs> they just kept building on top of building it. Um Real quick question. Have you ever re read The Gates of Gotham? No, I haven't. That's by Zack Snyder, and it deals with it's seemingly someone from the from the past, the founding fathers of Gotham, uh, coming to get revenge on the founding families of Gotham. It's pretty interesting. Scott Snyder. I don't, uh, remember, Snyder. I don't remember what I read that, that uh, kind of had Gotham as uh, throughout its entirety, uh, entire history, or something like that. <laughs> it was like because it was. I think it was the Cobblepots, the Waynes, the Canes, and maybe somebody else. I can't remember. But they, they. I feel like this might have been Grant Morrison or like that the sounds like Grant Morrison. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. So when this earthquake hits Gotham, Dick. As Nightwing leaves Bloodhaven and manages to arrive just in time to save the life of an EMT named Karen who is knocked off Gotham Bridge. Turns out, Karen heard a car honking in an abandoned cab and was rushing over to assist the trapped citizen when she was knocked over. Dick and Karen comfort the woman in the cab before, Dick, before Grayson realizes the paramedic vehicle is being robbed. He handles the criminals, but the ground under the cab begins to give away, endangering the woman inside and Karen herself. As the cab falls... Dick grabs the tow cable from a tow truck and drives down to, towards the fallen vehicle, managing to hitch it and stop it from crashing on the rubble below. As he tends to the person in the cab, it is revealed that the woman has just given birth and in her gratitude wants to name the child after her savior. Dick says Robin works just fine. What do you think of Aftershocks? The, I, I mean, Robin, Robin's going to suck as a name if it's like, did they mention if it was a girl or a boy? Oh, it's a girl. Robin. I you guess put it, you, you put it in the middle. <laughs> I'm more you know? concerned with the you, name you, than anything. You get, a, you, get a, you get a strong name, you know, a strong uh, a foundation of a name like John Blake, and you put Robin in the middle, bro. That's how you, that's how it's done, isn't it? I know, it is a boy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's what they did in Dark Knight Rises. You just put the Robin in the middle. No, yeah. one, even, no one even yeah, asks exactly. you about it. Uh, <laughs> the baby thing was a <laughs> yeah, bit much, in my opinion. Like the baby birth. Like, yeah, it the... came out of nowhere. 
it came out of nowhere. There was no real lead up. I like when the baby thing happened. I actually had to go back a couple pages <laughs> yeah. to see if I missed something. Yeah, because you know the lady says like the cab driver left. The cab driver must have known that there was a pregnant woman in the back seat. Like she may have not known <laughs> he was she was giving birth, but he knew she was pregnant. Like that, there's no there's no if ands or buts about that, and he was out. Um, so what I like about this, I don't necessarily like the story, but I like, I really, really like the art and it's the art that reminds me that, um, Nightwing is one of those characters like Spider-Man that's almost always shown drawn in these weird, not weird, gorgeous, like poetic in motion shots, like, like constantly flipping and twisting and turning and yes, yes. It, it it all looks like really beautiful. There's this, pose. There's this one pose that I call the Nightwing pose because I see him do it all the time, where he leaps over, uh, he leap over something with one hand and like his body vertical to the hand. Uh-huh. And that's the the Nightwing pose. And there there are many others like him. That's what I call that. That's what I call I call it. But yeah, that's that's almost this. Uh, that's almost something you have to do as an artist if you're going to be drawing Nightwing. Otherwise, yeah. you've failed. I dig it though. Like I, I really like that. That's that's one of the fun you get to have when you have that character is doing all these cool uh, acrobatic feats and drawing them. Honestly, because he's uh, the acrobat uh, Dick Grayson, it doesn't matter if he's the Nightwing or not. He should always be drawn, kind of doing things like this. That's one of the things I like about. Uh, well, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but they, um, there's kind of a difference between the way they draw the constructs, uh, the different Green Lanterns, uh, because of the character and that's and attention, their personality. That's attention and to the, detail. And if you get the right artist. Yeah, that's attention to detail right there. That's exactly. The kind of, that's the kind of stuff that you want when you when you when you're investing so much time in this medium. It's cool to see that others are as well. Um, this was this was pretty short shrift team building uh, by Devin Grayson and I had to double check that I was like wait <laughs> art by Dan Jurgens and Norm Rapund a <laughs> uh, Rapmund sorry uh, we start off at t- Titans Tower where the Teen Titans and I I, I kind of figured out this whole thing like early on but we start off at the Titans Tower where the Teen Titans are taken on Hive in Hive headquarters Damien Dark belittles his men after their failed encounter to get an ancient relic in their battle with the Teen Titans headed by Dick Grayson turns out the Titans had an answer for every challenge Dark put in their path they thought they had Troya beat but she capsized the boat they tried to attack Tempest but he destroyed the weaponry. Dark is flabbergasted at how they managed to stay a step ahead and decides to terminate his own team. He shows them a dangerous artifact determined to show the Titans who's boss when it is revealed that one of his minions is, in fact, Nightwing in disguise. Seeing as they were all just threatened with death, his, the Hive soldiers refuse to capture Grayson under Dark's orders, and Dick gets away with the artifact telling Damien if he wanted to build a better team, he should try a pizza night. What'd you think of team building? <laughs> uh it wasn't one of the best stories in the <laughs> in the collection. Yeah. But uh again, much like the first, it was uh cute, if not dated. Right. You know what it was? I you know <laughs> why I, I think that's I the point it's supposed to be within its era? I feel like it was a very Batman thing. Like I felt like I've read this story a million times in Batman works where people are talking about Batman and how I how the hell and every time they do that I'm looking around in the crowd to see if there's somebody that's like hiding in the shadows. <laughs> Cuz I'm like one of you guys is matches Malone. You know like one of you guys is going to rip it off and be like I was here the whole time. 
You know, like the almost got him where it's Killer Croc. Like, I'm always waiting to see <laughs> if Batman's just hanging out with some mustache on or something. Um, freaking Dark Knight. Was it Dark Knight Returns where he's an old woman? I think the beginning of Dark oh, Knight Returns right. Part yes, 2, he's the, an old-ass old woman. The liquor store. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh my God. Bruce. Uh, he's, he's good at that. Um, but I guess this was to show that um, Dick Grayson is is cool under pressure and a, a good leader of the Titans. Do you see him as the seminal leader of the Titans, or are you more of a Tim Drake guy? No, it's absolutely Dick Grayson. As Robin, as Nightwing, uh, because he wasn't only the leader, the leader of the Teen Titans. As Nightwing, he was the leader of the Titans as well. Yeah. As well. It's always Dick. Before we get to Agent 37, uh, what what are your favorite Dick Grayson portrayals in other mediums? Uh, Lego Batman, um, Batman Forever we spoke about. Titans. Are, are you digging Brenton Thwaites on Titans? got to be uh, – I'm digging Titans. It's fine. I don't I wouldn't call it my favorite. Version right? of Dick Grayson. It's absolutely <laughs> fine though. Yeah. Um, I – I think that my favorite version of Tim Grayson outside of comics would have to be, man, you put me on the spot here. Uh, dun, dun, dun. Uh, and everyone's listening. You know that, right? Everyone you know and, and love I'm is so listening. I'm so scared now. Oh, my God. I'm going back and forth between uh, Young Justice, Dick Grayson, and Batman, the animated series, Tim Grayson. I mean, uh, Tim Grayson. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Tim Drake is on the mind. I think no, I would go I think I would go Young Justice. I've only seen clips of Young Justice Dick Grayson, but he seems like put together and like assured of himself. That's very that's the coolest thing because in the beginning he wasn't. That's one of the best parts of the of Young Justice is the character development, but specifically with Dick Grayson, where it's like you see him go from juvenile, uh not able to work within a team to leader yeah it is and it's such a great arc that he might be my favorite uh outside of the comics version of the character awesome awesome let's talk about agent 37 mostly you because i don't know anything about him but i know that he debuted in grayson number one in july 2014 <laughs> Because uh, in 2014, he is forced to abandon that Nightwing identity after being unmasked on in Forever Evil. Um, and he had to fake his death, which set up the to- Tim Seeley and Tom King Grayson comic book, where Dick becomes Agent 37, Batman's mole in the nefarious spy organization Spiral. Following the conclusion of the Grayson series and the restoration of his secret identity in the series' final issue, Dick returns to being Nightwing as part of DC's rebirth relaunch in 2016. Talk to me about Grayson. I really like the art. Mikhail Janin's art is... Uh, oh, it, yeah, it looks good. <laughs> it does awesome. look good. Uh, some people don't dig it. I'm a fan. Uh, I got to tell you, Dick Grayson away from being Nightwing, uh, it, or uh, I guess at this point, not any uh, Batman. <laughs> right. It, it kind of puts me off like and in the beginning spy grayson did did kind of put a lot of people because it was just seen as another way of uh editorial trying to get nightwing or, or dick grayson uh infinite crisis where he was almost chosen as a character to die but they won't want kind of ken instead and yeah and then forever forever evil felt like they actually did go through with it so uh, a lot of people, including myself, even 
kind of kind of just scoffed at it, but it, it, it ended up being good. Right. <laughs> no, but you know, you, so, you're uh, right you because actually, this new Fifty Two run with Grayson, you know, takes place in in almost a uh, um, renaissance of Batman comics, right? Like you get when when rebirth, I mean not rebirth, new fifty two starts rolling in. Court of Owls takes the world by storm. Damian Wayne becomes a staple across DC in general, um, and Dick is kind of just like put like we acknowledge his existence, but he's kind of pushed to the side. Yeah, I mean he had his he had his book, but uh, again, editorial always seemed to have it out for him him at the time, so. The book ended up fine. This particular story was okay. I like the idea that he was able to pass on the knowledge that he learned from Bruce. Um, yeah. Uh, insinuated that he yeah. that he banged a gorilla. They insinuated that he banged a gorilla. Let's get into the lesson plan, uh, written by Tim Seeley and Tom King, with Mark by well, Mark with art by Mike Jennon. So we catch up with Agent Thirty Seven and his teammate Paris as they descend on Rio Is de Janeiro. It it's Mikhail. Is it Mikhail? I don't know where I got Mike from. Mike <laughs> Jenin. I'm doing it a looks quick... like Mike if you read it real fast. Uh, oh, you're right. It is Mikhail. I am so sorry, Mr. Mikhail. You're right, because I'm looking at it now. <laughs> he did do that. He did a couple of the... Um, he did the Joker uh, wedding uh, comic. Yeah, it might even be Janine. Oh, so I'm just getting it all All right, MJ. Art by MJ, Mikkel, Janine. <laughs> um, but, so the cool thing about this is, like you said, uh, Paris asks, her, um, asks why their boss would put Grayson in charge or whatever. Um, and he recounts training with, with Batman and stuff and all the lessons that he's learned. And a lot of them... Is uh, like he'll he will be in a situation he'll get an in, the, an instinct flashback, think of the time where Bruce gave him um, advice, and then do like the opposite. <laughs> so the first couple I don't have. I I have what the lessons are. So lesson one is improvise. Um, so they're there to stop these from getting away with a plutonium or promethium isotope, and when they encounter trouble, Agent Thirty Seven explains that lesson two is be bright, be direct, and be blunt. Which he says no one is expecting in the spy world. And I think that also talks about the, you know, yellow cape and the little shorts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, lessons that he's learned along the way. Um, <laughs> they defeat their foes and find a ship where a deal for the Prometheum is being made. 37 shows lesson 3. Smile. As he saves Dr. Sayani, the scientist princess of Gorilla City. who And you, you gotta understand how it felt typing this. The scientist princess of Gorilla City who, as her kingdom suggests, is a super-intelligent ape. Uh, when they're trying to figure out if they can trust her, Dick remembers Batman, Batman's untrusting nature and reveals Lesson 4, which is my favorite. Give the benefit of the doubt until you gotta knock him out. I thought that was the greatest. <laughs> like That should be on his shirt. <laughs> uh, um, uh, they travel to 10... Guess- Go ahead, brother. Yellow? They cut out for a bit there. Yeah, see, I feel like I might be a little delayed. Oh, no. I was just saying, um, how do you feel about lesson four? Give the benefit of the doubt until you got to knock him out. 
Yeah, that was absolutely hilarious. I feel like we should, like we should mention that the gorilla princess was actually a beautiful woman for a lot of the time, and then all of a sudden she wasn't. I guess, I guess, Your Honor, <laughs> if that evidence is needed for the case, it, it, be, it was it, because, a woman at first. Mentioned, mentioned, she mentions to Dick. She mentions to Dick. She's like, uh, I hope those words you whispered, whispered to me were true. And, yes. and then she like takes him to meet her father. And it's like he banged her thinking she was a woman. And it turns out she was a red gorilla. And also, like, they, like I'm not going to lie. this The plot of this got away from me. Because I don't know what, what they're going to use the Promethean Isotope for. I've never met this Dr. Sayani uh, before. Maybe she was in Grayson. Um, and so, and then they're talking about like a war with Atlanteans or there was an, an Atlantean there who had Dr. Sayani captured. And then all of a sudden uh, they travel to Tanzania and they start just fighting some terrorists. And then um, when things get rough, uh, Dick remembers Batman saying like, you got to let the, the anger and the rage fill your heart and, and use it, you know, as a tool. And he's like, uh, yeah, instead of that, he instructs his crew to think about all the lives you're going to save. Then they end up in a war helping Gorilla City and Grayson Grayson reveals his final lesson learned from Batman, which is ignore your mentor and do what's best. And he gives this advice to his teammate as they go to war. So do you have any idea what's happening at the end of this story? What's happening with all of it? The spaceship, the random no. man with the face paint? No, I just threw away the idea. <laughs> I threw away any hope of... Understand, understanding the plot, I was I, I just took it moments after after the gorilla, you were over it. That's a good time to take a break. After gorilla, gorilla, I was just uh, <laughs> I was just like okay. I was like, all right, this is not this is happening. I'll just take it for the character moments and move on. So my boy, my boy Dick Grayson, I love him, but he's like the Leonardo of these turtles. You feel me? Uh, the first Robin. He is. He's the first Robin. Yeah. 80th anniversary that actually belonged to him rather than the others. Yep. Um, the first so one to make it to the TV. The f- obviously, here. the first one to make it to TV. But, like, the first one to be portrayed yep. in, in, in animated, um, in film, in live-action television. Uh, our boy Dick Grayson. But I'd be lying if I didn't say that the first Robin to capture my heart was Jason Todd when I heard the story. Of Red Hood. Now, obviously, this um, this character went missing <laughs> for several years. So, in the 90s, I doubt anybody was t- pulling Jason Todd as their favorite character, let alone favorite Robin. Um, but he makes his debut all the way back in Batman 366. And it's it's here, um, just like in many other times in DC's comics, where the continuity kind of gets a little bit wonky. Because although Jason Todd debuted in Batman 366, he was a little blonde boy who was very similar to Dick Grayson in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, he, he was basically created as a as Dick Grayson, Dick Grayson replacement, and so he debuted in um, in March of 1983 and made his full appearance uh, in April. But it wasn't until later that year that he would appear in the Batman costume. Um, and when he showed up at the end of that series. But following the 1985 limited series Crisis on Infinite Earths, they got to revamp the character. Um, according to Denny O'Neill, uh, who took over as Batman's editor in 1986, the fans hated Jason Todd. 
<laughs> he didn't know if it was fan craziness. Mm-hmm. Maybe they saw him as usurping Dick's position. But some of the male response indicated that he was um, the least on some people's mind, which made them um, come up with an idea of how they could get the fans in on influencing the creative process. So they set up a telephone pole on a 19, uh, 1-900 number where people got to choose the fate of the second Robin. Um, O'Neill said the logical candidate was Jason because we had reason to believe that he wasn't that popular anyway. It was a big enough stunt that we couldn't do it with a minor character. Um, and even though Jason Todd was unpopular with readers, O'Neill could not decide what to do with the character, so he opted to present the choice to the readership. And that brings us to the very um, acclaimed story, The Death in the Family, which was published in Batman 426 to 429. I actually reread the last issue of that because it's one of my favorite like, single issues where... Batman wants to kill Joker, but Joker is ironically the um, Iranian. <laughs> He's the Iranian <laughs> ambassador. Did did, uh, <laughs> did you? Uh, yeah, I actually didn't. Don't still fully don't un- don't understand understand the con the context of that. But I wanted to see if you had s- seen the of the death of Jason Todd issue. Um. The, oh, did the other one that the, the one where he's alive online recently? Yeah, yeah. It's, you can it's see. It crazy. turns out that uh, regard like regardless of whether or not he was gonna live or die, he was still gonna be removed as Robin. Yeah. So, so he was screwed either way. It's like his his eyes don't work and his ears are bleeding, but he's alive. Thank God he's alive. And then they would just put him somewhere else. He would have never been Robin again. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, once I found out about Red Hood and I saw the Under the Red Hood, um, animated series, which I wouldn't be surprised if that's how majority of the people were introduced to the character before, uh, finding out about how he came back in comics. Um, I, I was like intoxicated with the story of like a slain sidekick of Batman coming back to teach him the right way to do it. I thought it was so cool. And, um, I went back and I read the death of Jason Todd and I read his origin with him trying to steal the, the, the wheels off the Batmobile. Um, I read and through the death of Jason Todd, he's looking for his mother and it's, it's Joker who's tricked him into thinking his mother's in Africa. And when he's alone with her, that's when he basically kills, uh, Jason. And then, yeah, watching Batman try to, um, get at joker but joker becomes a, uh, an ambassador of, the, of iran and there's no like real explanation of it at one point in 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 a panel that probably doesn't age well he's like you know me and iran are, just, are basically the same they all call us crazy nuts but we're the only ones that know what we're talking about or something like that and i'm like oh my god this is <laughs> this is a lot um but jason is definitely the black sheep jason is definitely the um i mean there's a probably other synonyms for black sheep but you get what i'm saying he's the maligned robin uh after his death um he ends up coming back in the story under the red hood in 2005 written by judd winnick who is actually the person who wrote the more time story for this issue uh which is that's awesome um i you know what the you know what the weirdest thing is though like i said i'm such a humongous fan of this character that i've traced him from beginning all the way up to here but so many people 
have conflicting opinions on wh- what Jason should be and who Jason should be. Like, they introduced him in Hush, but then they revealed that that was Clayface. But then it was revealed that Jason knew it was Clayface, but Jason was also there or around. Um, and that happens in Red Hood, The Lost Days, where it shows how he got the money and the resources to introduce himself as Red Hood to Gotham, which he was actually funded by Talia al Ghul, who he was sleeping with. So there's a lot there's a lot going on there with old Jason. Um, but he definitely, you know, uh, his, his resurrection back from the dead and his one-man war on crime thing is definitely what a lot of people attach themselves to. And he eventually becomes a force for good and creates his own team called the Outlaws, uh, with a varying roster and a floating headquarters. How do you feel about Jason Todd, his rise and his fall? And what do you think about the Red Hood character as an anti-hero? I feel like when you uh, when you cut the story down and you boil it to his basics, the way they did in Under the Red Hood, the animated version, it's a very compelling, very awesome story. It's, a great, it's, it's awesome and the character is great. But... Um, He's got a very convoluted history. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, I like Jason. I like Jason personally. He, uh, my favorite Robin is Damien, actually, which wow. uh, isn't always the most popular Robin. That's but, quite yeah, surprising. He's the he's the one I got to he's the one I got to watch uh, <clears throat> grow up and become who he is now. But um, Jason is great. His his Red Hood. The the story of how he became Red Hood is great, though I gotta say I'm not I haven't actually read too much of the Outlaws. There, it's 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 a fun read. It doesn't have much of an impact on the thing. I um, if you want a more serious take on the whole on his whole uh, crime fighting fiasco, I would go with the uh, Rebirth Outlaws. Feels a little, like a little, there's a little bit more gravity there. Um, in New Fifty Two, there were so many titles that people were just doing whatever the hell they wanted to. <laughs> elsewhere with characters that were made up so it kind of gets a little bit wonky there because i think what actually happens is you get red hood and arsenal and then red hood and the outlaws in new 52 Uh, but he was also in batman eternal which was going on at the time so they they were trying to stretch my boy they were stretching my boy thin a little bit my boy jason um but when i think jason i think tragic and when i read the story more time i thought tragic so let's get into this story, written by Judd Winnick, with art by Dustin New Nguyen. <laughs> oh, I'm saying that right. There is a way to pronounce it. I had it, and now I'm just getting it worse. It's just, yeah, it's happening. In a story that seems to take place during the Red Hook arc, we get flashbacks of a young Jason trying to gift Bruce with his father's watch, which he has been fixing for him. There are a lot of parallels with Jason's relationship with the watch and Batman's with Todd. Both are broken but can be fixed with patience and time. It may be hard work and it may take a long time, but it needs to be with someone who cares about it and will be with it all the time and gives it plenty of attention. In a flashback, we see that he never actually gives Batman the watch, saying he will when he has finished it completely. You flash forward. Sorry. We flash forward to the present and Jason has left a box on the Batmobile and has disappeared. Um, Batman walks up to it, revealing... Oh, sorry. Batman walks up to it, opens it, and reveals that it is the 
the watch. In a heartbreaking mirror image, we see both old and young Jason wish Bruce a happy birthday. What do you think of more time? I love this story. I loved it. I loved more time. It was emotional. It tugged at the right strings. I love the idea that Bruce just wants to fix Jason. Yeah. And even today, even today where the idea is that he's fixed now, yeah. but Bruce is still like, oh, come here. I'll fix you. He's fixed, he's fixed still, but the thing is, like, every, I think any, any, like, okay, <laughs> Jason got through life, literally, death and life, but he's not scratch-free, and I think every yeah. single one of those scratches Bruce puts on his own conscience, you know? Like, damn, like, he, like that's got to be hard, like, to look yeah. at your dead ward every day. Now he's living, but you remember that the, your greatest failure, and I that that death, that whole incident, put such a weird and personal grudge between those two, more so Jason against Batman, um, that fueled such a, a weird rivalry of sorts. Where for years, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jason was trying to out Batman, Batman to the point that when Battle of the Cow comes, he straight up has a Batman suit and guns, and he's like, Nah, this is the way it's supposed to be done. Which is something that, pretty crazy. That was a weird time in the history of Jason Todd. I don't yes. fully. He was understand. also a redhead. Yeah. He. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, it, it, he was redheaded. He's completely off his rocker. Yep. And it happened out of nowhere. There was no real lead up. He had Scarlet. Remember, he had Scarlet as his. Uh, Where did she come from? She was a weird Dolotron, Dolotron woman. That yeah, he saved. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, yeah. I know I It'll, know the Jason uh, lore. I'm not saying it makes sense, but I know it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I but yeah, man, I that grudge. That grudge and that and that constant need to be better than Batman. Almost to prove a point to him, which is like uh, at this point, you know, it should be superfluous, but it, it gets to the point that even in the most recent um uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws like story there's a there's a uh, a storyline in which the the two meet each other again and there's a confrontation and it breaks my heart again because Jason is still the little redheaded stepchild and Batman is still the you know the 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 dictator in this situation and I don't like when it's painted that way but when it is it, it's it's heartbreaking everything about Jason is heartbreaking I I totally agree I mean uh it's almost to this point where you want to see the character redeem himself or, or not really redeem himself. He doesn't really have anything to be redeemed for. He just needs to be fully healed. But if if he, he does get fully healed, then that's the end of the character. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways. It's like Frank Castle. You know, once Frank Castle's done with work, what, what, what yeah. does he become? Or much like Batman himself. Yes, they share a lot of parallels. Um, so let's talk about man number three, Tim Drake, the Robin that was Robin when I was uh, literally he he gets debuted in August 1989. I was born in May 1989. So uh, Tim Drake. Was I feel like Tim is the most underrated Robin. Yeah, he's actually he's he's because he was steady because he was steady. He had no he had no baggage. He had no issues. 
you know, um, he does face his trials and tribulations and tragedies, but he's not a uh, a soap opera story like the rest of the Robins. You know, he legit is yeah. this kid yeah. who was just discovered the identities of Batman and Robin because he was like, wait a minute, uh, I just saw Robin do like a trick, a triple tuck axle, and that's only been done by one person in history. Uh, that guy who was in the Flying Graysons, uh, Dick Grayson. Oh, wait a minute. Where's Dick Grayson living now? Oh, shit. He's living with this guy named Bruce Wayne. Is it Robin always hanging out with some guy? And then he just shows up at the uh, at the Wayne Manor and he's like, hey, I know who you guys are. <laughs> and they're like, oh, shit. I mean, not to mention Tim is like a fuck, a freaking genius. So, yes. I'll never <laughs> forget. Figured it out a bitch. I'll never forget that they designated him in that first volume, uh, Court of Owls, as the second smartest detective in the world. Yeah. And I was like, wow. I, I didn't know he had that yeah, distinction. I, and I was like, okay, I that's respect. Put some respect on Tim's name. No, seriously, that's what I mean. Like, he's so underrated, but he's due to absolute genius. And this story that we're going to talk about highlights that. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, after the death of the second Robin, Jason Todd, and after witnessing Batman spiral into darkness, Tim was convinced that he should train to become the third Robin. Uh, Tim, did you know this? Tim Drake was named after Tim Burton, director of the upcoming 1989 Batman film and introduced in Batman. I didn't know that. 89 year three. Uh, yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Um, in that issue, he first introduced himself to Dick Grayson and impressed the former Robin with his skills. This led to Grayson and later Alfred uh, supporting Tim's request to be Batman's new partner. Not wanting to make the same mistakes as he did with Jason, Batman had Tim endure an intensive period of training that was never given to his predecessors. Eventually, after Tim rescues Batman from Scarecrow, he proves his capabilities and becomes Robin. Batman editor Denny O'Neill hoped that uh, Grayson's approval of Drake would ease readers' acceptance of him. He is the second longest tenured Robin after Grayson. Once Dick takes over the role of Batman after Bruce's apparent death, in Batman R.I.P. and Final Crisis, he fires Tim from the Robin mantle and gives it to Damian Wayne. Tim, believing that Bruce is still alive, assumes the identity of Red Robin and leaves Gotham City to go on a worldwide search for Wayne. Um, yeah, like you said, this was somebody who earned the respect of Batman. Uh, of sorry, of uh, Nightwing, and then went through the trials and tribulations to prove himself for Batman. But I gotta say, my favorite part of Tim Drake is the Tim Drake Dick Grayson relationship. I really, really like that weird respect and admiration, but still like it's the big brother little brother thing. Yeah, but like older because we also got the big brother little brother thing with Dick and um, Damien, you know. But this is like a different yeah. version of that. This is like the just when you get older and mature yes. and just just. The, literally the point in life where you realize that the people who were trying to put you on a good path weren't, you know, trying to ruin your life, <laughs> basically. Like, he seems like he's gotten yeah. to the age where he can appreciate Dick as opposed to, you know, feeling like he was in his shadow in any way. Like, he can, he, he's no longer running from the Dick. He's uh, yes. accepting it. And oftentimes you just have to accept it. As a matter of fact, now more than ever, now more than ever with what's going on. But let's talk about Extra Credit, written by Adam Beechin with art by Freddie E. Williams II. So uh, Tim's story starts off in a meeting 
uh, with the new Gotham City High School guidance counselor, Mr. Grisby. Grisby remarks that he knows Tim is aiming for a future in law enforcement, but he might not get it due to lack of extracurricular activities. This creates the setup for the story as Mr. Grisby continues to suggest Drake isn't doing anything special enough to be noticed as an applicant, but this is juxtaposed with images of Tim as Robin showcasing everything his counselor fails to see in his transcript. This includes being great at science, <clears throat> due to Batman, being extremely athletic, which uh, he keeps a secret to lower suspicion, and his leadership skills as the head of the Titans. He continues to give him advice, but a signal on his watch causes Tim to make up an excuse to don the Robin outfit and head out. The issue ends with Grisby talking to a colleague, hoping that Tim Drake makes something of himself one day, uh, showing how often Tim Drake is underestimated. And I think that's what we were talking about there, right? Like, he's so smart that he makes people think he's not applying himself. I really like that story for the fact that it uh, kind of puts that idea right out there for you. Like, Tim has all these things, but the reason why the spotlight is anonymous is because he doesn't want it. And uh, But I enjoy the next Tim story a lot more. I do, too, because um, I it literally, like, I'm, I was trying to find a way to say it without being hyperbolic, but screw it, right? We're in a crisis. Um, it literally changed the way I think about um, Tim Drake. I never I never had a hard stance or opinion on him. I always dug him, never had anything against him. But this story here, uh, Boy Wonders, by, of course, right, James uh, Tinian the fourth, killing it, killing it, killing it with Detective Comics. I have uh, Detective Comics Rebirth Volume 1, uh, Rise of the Batman. Um, loved all of it. All of it. I, I could keep gushing, it's but so it, it, it's just so good. You got art by Javi Fernandez as well. Um, so let's talk about it. Pre-Detective Comics Rebirth, Tim Drake is reflecting on his time as Robin, but he has fears for his future. He doesn't know what his next step should be, so he speaks to all the former Robins for advice, and each speak from a place that shows how they feel about their role as Robin. Dick, a child of tragedy, says it's Tim's responsibility to be a shining light for other young citizens who have no one to look up to. Jason says that it's his responsibility to succeed Batman and be better than he could ever be. Damien says his real issue is because he isn't like the other Robins, he doesn't have a fate, a set fate to follow. He doesn't have a revenge to seek or a father to overthrow. And he's in the oddest predicament of them all because he can do whatever he likes. Tim takes his advice and shows Batman what he plans to do with his future, introducing him to the concept of the Gotham Knights. Okay, you really undersold that Damien moment there. That was cool as hell. <laughs> well, I dug, <laughs> I dug the Damien moment. I wanted to expound, expound more on it in conversation because <laughs> I felt like Damien, I, I dig Damien, so I was always going to look at his dialogue more. But when he started to talk like that and he's like, you, you're not like the rest of us, I started to realize that more so for Tim, Robin is a choice. Yeah, and that makes 100%. it, and that changes everything, doesn't it? Like, um, Damien is born into it. Um, and Jason and, and, uh, and Dick fall into it. But it's a choice for Tim every day. He chooses yeah, he, to do that. Yes, sir. And he's the only one who did. You know, and I think that that speaks so much about his level of responsibility, um, his the level of selflessness, um, all, all, just his his moral compass and all that. I I totally get why he has such a big following now, 
um, and reading this story literally just what a couple four or five pages has given me a whole new uh, level of respect for that character because of, just because of that like wow like <laughs> you could quit this at any time you have enough brains you have enough money you have enough family support familial support to do whatever you want your girlfriend loves you you can go to college <laughs> you know you could do whatever but you want to you're here in the mud not because you were born in the mud but because you see people here worth saving and that's that's huge good stuff um now let's get on to his little boo stephanie brown who uh she made her debut in detective comics number 647 in 1992 uh but makes her debut as robin in may of 2004 in robin 126 so after tim's father orders him to hang up his cape Tim is forced to live a normal life for a little bit of, of a time. I actually went back and read this, and uh, his father, dead ass, was like, "Yeah, you're coming home." <laughs> his dad, um, somebody had gotten killed. His dad shows up. Him and Bruce get into a whole big thing, and then the big question is, is uh, Tim's dad going to to rat them out, rat out the identities of Batman, uh, Robin, and Nightwing, and in agreement to not do so. He pulls uh, Tim from the field. He's like, I won't tell nobody who you guys are, but I'm taking my son home. And so um, one day after school, Stephanie Brown, Tim's little girlfriend, attempts to surprise him with a visit, but catches a female classmate trying to seduce him. Assuming that he's being unfaithful, like all women, he, she breaks off ties with Tim and angrily decides to put her attention elsewhere. Um, instead of creating a, a thirst, a trap account for, uh, Instagram, she creates a homemade Robin costume <laughs> and sneaks into the Batcave and demands Batman train her as the new Robin. Batman reluctantly accepts, but he thinks that she's too unskilled to be an acceptable replacement for Tim. Batman later fires her after she disobeys his orders in the field. A big no-no. Um... In an effort to prove her worth to Batman, Stephanie steals one of his long-term plans for dealing with the entirety of Gotham's criminal underworld, arranging a meeting to bring them all together. This results in a city-wide gang war in which Stephanie is captured by the Black Mass, tortured extensively to get information about Batman, and although she escapes and makes her way to a hospital, she is severely injured and supposedly dies in a hospital bed as Batman sits beside her. But this death was retconned, am I right? Yeah, they. I don't know <laughs> yeah, if they're right. Yeah, yeah. Stephanie Brown is, is. She got screwed so bad as a character, and like even in this anniversary special, <laughs> so it definitely did get retconned. And it's like she, he faked it to keep her safe. Yeah, yeah. What do you feel? How do you feel about that? As somebody who did, did you put to rest that that character in your mind? Yeah. No. Well, it was. I didn't really care about Stephanie Brown. And they, they wrote Stephanie Brown so that you didn't care about her. Like I feel like not even the people who wrote about her care, cared about her. They wrote her as a screw-up. She she couldn't be she couldn't cut it as Robin. She prayed she basically died <laughs> in wow. like the span of months. <laughs> you know, like she sucked. Yeah. She sucked. Uh and even like in this 80th anniversary special, all these Robins got all these crazy introspectives and all this awesome stuff. And Stephanie Brown got uh, <laughs> she got a story about a a costume that doesn't fit because she's got titties. I did not love the art, and the art was weird. 
I thought I thought I was the only one. I'm like, this is just kind of weird. They're all drawn like Popeye almost. <laughs> I'm like, what's yeah. going on? No, nah, man, that was so weird. And she's like supposed to be a little girl, right? Or like yeah. a teenager. Yeah, and it is showing her butt and boobs and stuff. So yeah, I this like, man, this is uncomfortable. This is actually pretty <laughs> simple. Let's let's get past this fast. Fitting in by Amy Wolfram with art by Dane. Damian Scott. <laughs> Stephanie Brown's story is a simple one where she's struggling uh, trying to fit into Tim's role as Robin. We are shown her having issues with everything from the outfit to the training and an incident and in an incident involving Firefly, she disregards Batman's commands again and gets caught. It turns out it was all a trick by Stephanie to catch Firefly off guard and they managed to apprehend the villain. Afterwards, Batman scolds her for not doing what Tim would do and she fires back that he needs to stop treating her like someone she isn't. The story ends with her getting a fully customized Robin outfit to personify her custom place in Robin's history. See, I put that better than they put it. <laughs> they also, I guess she wasn't Batgirl anymore? No, she becomes a second Batgirl, right? Now she's spoiler again, if I'm not mistaken. But, like, it, it didn't happen? Because she doesn't have the, uh, you know, like, Every Robin had a page where they had their designations under that men. Oh, yeah, where they eventually became. Yeah, and hers doesn't have the Batgirl anymore. I was actually surprised, and maybe I shouldn't have been, but I was surprised that she got the story and not Kathy Kelly. Or Carrie Kelly. Kathy Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy Kelly, yeah. Uh-huh. I, like, uh-huh. I was like, Carrie Kelly's done some stuff. Carrie Kelly probably should have got the story over Stephanie Brown, but I don't know that I wanted to see Frank Miller. Oh draw my God! In twenty twenty. Oh my God! Twenty twenty, and I hate that he keeps uh, being asked to draw things in twenty twenty. He was one of the variant covers for this Robin 80th anniversary, and it was like a version of his Carrie Kelly. It's really yeah. freaking ugly, man. Yeah, it's just scratch. It's like scratch <laughs> drawing. I hate it. But uh, after the Stephanie Brown story, they did have this one cool page that I saved. Uh, it's Nicholas Scott who drew Stephanie Brown in her Robin outfit, and that was awesome. Yeah, that, looks, <laughs> that actually looks really, really good. Yeah. Oh, but God. then comes my favorite. I think we're here for the main event, baby. I yes, think we're sir. here for the main event. We're in a we're in a rare occurrence. Where I'm on a podcast talking about Damian Wayne with somebody else who likes him. <laughs> because. <laughs> um, How can you not like Damian? Damn it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, Again, just like the Red Hood story. Such a rich story. Such such a. Uh, uh, like chock full of content and emotional resonance. Um, Seeing Batman becoming a father, seeing him see everything that's wrong with him in his son, trying to fight that out of him, Um, seeing Damien fight against his programming to become a loving member of the Bat family, all of that stuff, absolutely tremendous. I I can't say enough. What do you think of Damien Wayne? I love Damien Wayne. Damien Wayne is my favorite Robin. Damien Wayne is my favorite Robin because he's feels like he's my robin you know i i was he i was there when he first got introduced i remember hating damian wayne in the beginning (laughs) because i was like oh god we give batman a son it's probably not gonna be his we can go through all the shit right and i didn't want to attach myself to him (laughs) and then it made me resent him and then he beat the shit out of tim drake and i was like oh this is fucked up (laughs) (laughs) and um 
but eventually growing to love him and being like, man, it, it it's different. It's a different type of a connection that I have with Damian Wayne than I have with the other Robin. Yeah, and it's the same thing with me. Like I, I, um, not I'm oh sorry, not enough could be said about who is in the mantle when you first, you know, are are reading. I think it goes to show a lot. Um, those who grew up with Tim Drake lean towards Tim Drake. Same thing with Dick Grayson um, and Damian Wayne. Not only not only that, but you know, we had said earlier on that it was retconned from um, Batman choosing Dick to be his ward to Batman adopting him as his son. And I think that there's always been a kind of a weird distinction right where it's like he has these orphan children for the most part that he keeps around and they fight his war on crime um sometimes they become his son sometimes they don't but to to get all that muddy water out of the equation this is his literal son it's his literal son like it's you can't get any closer than this and the idea that he constantly puts that puts that back in the faces of the other robins is hilarious I I think that uh, him being Batman's son and then them changing the way Batman has to interact with a Robin yeah. is uh, one of the best things that happened to Batman recently. Yeah, because he talks There's... crazy to Batman and Batman has to hold his punches in a lot of ways where he would be normally barking out the orders. He's got to sit there and explain. And, you know, that's a lot of the reason why the Robin character was created in the first place was so that Batman wouldn't just be talking to himself. He gets to exposit upon somebody who's there which is why i think the movies are missing robin yeah if you were to introduce one i think the easiest one would be damian wayne and uh if you were to do so then you have somebody you can get the batman ethos straight from his mouth but without having to get the inner monologue which is really hard to do in a film 100 percent um, so, Bat, uh, Damian Wayne uh, shows up in Batman 655 in 2006, but he becomes Robin in 657. So, with the Al Ghouls citing Bruce Wayne as their optimal successor to the Empire, after a night of passion and drugs with the daughter of Ra's al Ghul, Damian is grown in an artificial womb, his existence being kept from Batman until Batman 656 in 2006. In turn, the character is revealed to have originally been intended to kill and replace his famous father, as well as serving as a host body for Ra's al Ghul. So he was going to throw this kid away. Um, then we can throw him away. I, th- I love the way – I do love, though, in 657, uh, he just comes and immediately, much like a feral animal, uh, marks his territory – by beating the absolute hell out of the current Robin. Yep. <laughs> and yep. taking his costume, putting it on, and just declaring that this is my birthright. Yeah. I'm Robin now. And I, <laughs> and and I, like, I like his little weird Middle Eastern garb that he shows up in initially. Oh, know? man, that's so cool with the spike gloves. Yeah, I was like, this is, I, I'm digging this. And that's the thing, man. This this Robin, this child, has been trained for years under the most deadly leaders and teachers in martial arts and all kinds of combat um the league of assassins and so he is a killer he was brought in and he introduced as a killer and we are shown through guys like john kent through um batman uh through dick grayson people who try to um appeal to his better nature and try to show him that it doesn't have to be as black and white as life or death 
in a lot of these cases and that it is a responsibility in his hands to choose to not kill half of the enemies that he faces off with. Um, we um, So there was a prototype of the character, an unnamed infant in a story called Batman, Son of the Demon in 1987, but that wasn't canon. Um, in 2006, Grant Morrison brings in Damian Wayne and introduces him into the main continuity. Um, and then Damien becomes the fifth character to assume the role of Robin. And in 2016, as part of DC Rebirth, Damien was paired with Superman's son, John Kent. So, uh, I, for this story, which is um, my best friend, I was going to take notes. But instead, I'm just going to read to you Jonathan's article in whole because it's pretty short. I met Damien a few months ago. Oh, this is written by John Kent, son of Superman, best friend of Damien Wayne, a.k.a. Robin. I met Damien Wayne a few months ago. My dad says that's a lifetime when you're my age, and I know he's right. But for some reason, it didn't matter. Truth is, we got along right away, mostly. In movies, you always see these kids grow up together and share every experience together. But me and Damien... Skipped all that stuff and got right to the good stuff. Sorry. We've been through a lot together, and I really think we've learned some important life lessons along the way. Luckily, we share a lot of the same interests, like school. I help him when I can, especially when he has trouble on tests. I call him my study buddy. Damien grew up in a dark world, and I like to think that hanging out together gives him a chance to have more fun. Especially when we team up and fight crazy enemies. Oh my god, and there's this panel here, bro. I want to cry. It's <laughs> <laughs> Damian Wayne, like, covered in blood, dirty, with the hood up, with the hands up. And you just see a hurt Jonathan behind him. And Damian is standing in front of him to defend him. And it says it's if I... It's so good it's, because Damian... Because, like, just look at the situation. Like, Jonathan Kent is the indestructible Kryptonian. Yeah. And then not, no power Damian Wayne stands up ready to die yep. for him. It's uh, it's great. Uh, Jorge Jimenez. Awesome. Really good work. If I had to describe Damian in one word, it would be dependable. No matter what, when the chips are down, he always has my back. And he always takes care of me. I know I can trust him no matter what kind of trouble... We find ourselves in. I'm an only child like my dad. But if I ever had a chance to have a brother, I know exactly the kind I would want. Because he knows me better than anybody and he's with me practically every day. I would never tell him this, but he's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, and then Damien then Damien's it reading it over his shoulder <laughs> <laughs> and uh he's like, uh you done, you wanna we wanna let's uh let's go patrol. And uh, John finishes up his uh, story with, so what I think dad meant when he said a few months is a lifetime at your age is that when you're young, most of your time is ahead of you, hopefully, and you get lots of friends in that life, hopefully. But I know from experience that you only get one best friend. The end. And it's just like, if you could just freeze that moment of them in the air, just <laughs> happy and free and careless. Uh, Super Sons was a story... A set of stories I did not know I'd fall in love with. I already liked um, uh, Damian Wayne and then the John Kent character. It was amazing uh, in in Superman Rebirth. But those two together, man, I really found... like it really They really found their groove with those two characters. And then 
uh, John Kent is about 25 now or something, right? Like, what, what's going on? Oh, my God. Man, it hurts reading this best friend story because this I, – I want this to have lasted longer. I wanted them to grow up together. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, unfortunately, Brian Michael Bendis didn't feel that way, and he decided that he wanted to age John Kent uh, prematurely. Um to the age of 17. Yeah. Uh, Damian Wayne is 13, so the Super Sons dynamic no longer works. Nope. The relationship is effectively dead, and Brian Bendis actually took one issue of Legion of Superheroes to bury it. Oh, um, with Damian going over there? Yeah, and older Jonathan tries to bring Damian up to the future with him, and it doesn't work out. So he takes him back, and now Damian's mad at him for it, but... um. Ah, oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pretty much hoping that Bendis will leave. Not not that he'll leave. I'm sure they'll give him something else, but he'll get off the book, and then someone else with a clear mind, yes, will put Jonathan back the way he's supposed to be. Yeah, because uh, they were having troubles with it anyway. Because remember, they were having those issues with not knowing whether or not to put John in the Titans as well. When when Damien was in there, like they seem to have a weird sense of direction. Once they like Super Sons, I feel like hit on all levels, but they also had commitments with Ro- putting a Robin on Titans, which then meant Super. Well, Legion of Superheroes, they, they should have a Superboy, and they just trying to check boxes as opposed to, you know, following the natural flow of how things were going. I actually would have loved to see him as a Teen Titan. <laughs> um, uh, John. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna cry. Oh, those years! Uh, but let's get to the final story: Bat and Mouse, uh, by Robbie Thomas, art by Raymond or Ramon Villalobos. Um, the, this art reminds me of the Grant Morrison stories. Yeah, it's very similar to Frank Quitely, Chris Burnham style art. Uh, I actually don't know who that is, who this is. Oh, Ra- Ramon um, Villalobos. Villalobos. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know this person. So you think he's doing but, his best as an homage? I think that it's his own style. I just, um, if only because this story is the one that's not an homage or anything like that. It's just um, a setup for something that that's coming. Yeah. Well, I guess something that would have been coming now that publication has stopped. <laughs> so okay, so some with some background. Um, Jace, I'm sorry. Uh, um, Damien's been going full Pleasant Hill in Gotham. Am I getting that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, you pretty much. <laughs> so in in the Pleasant Hill uh story in Marvel, um, Shield was taking criminals, wiping their brains, and sticking them in a neighborhood, uh free of the memory of them ever being criminals and thus they seemingly get to live normal lives as regular people because they can't remember anything that they did bad uh damien is wiping memories of of criminals and he has like this weird secret dungeon as part of the titans uh it's a secret to everyone including batman and this story kind of takes off from that tangent where bruce knows that robin's doing something and they're getting more and more distant and he doesn't really know what's going on so the story begins with a worried Bruce Wayne in Batman gear looking for Damien, who he hasn't seen in a few days. He feels his son is hiding something from him. He manages to trick and confront Damien, who he thinks has gotten one over on his dad by using a hologram. 
The two take on an old foe, Quietus, who I've never seen before. I heard he was in Silencer. Yeah, I I guess. <laughs> I don't know who the heck he is. They were both like, Quietus, our old foe. And I was like, I don't know who that man is. I, I would have like, known. I don't know him either. If they would have had Flamingo in here, I would have, you understand? I would have been like, oh, okay. I know, I know Flamingo. <laughs> <laughs> but, um,. Yeah, we need some more of those weird Grant Morrison villains <laughs> out and about. But, um, so, yeah, Quietus shows up. And it's apparent that Bruce's stubborn nature has definitely passed on to his son. As they are both unable to find the right words or the right time to try to reason with one another and bond. Bruce thinks his son is hiding secrets and no matter how many times he's tried, he can't reach him. Damien thinks his father thinks of him as unworthy, lost, and unteachable. They get overwhelmed by bad guys and Batman calls the Batmobile in for assistance. When the smoke clears, instead of comforting one another, they go back to their inner monologue with Bruce saying he needs to keep a uh, close eye on his son and Damien saying his father has to never know, never find out what he's done. I wasn't reading Titans, so I didn't know any of this about uh, him wiping minds or anything yeah. going into this. I felt a little left out. I feel like that should have been explained. <laughs> right. It was. I think there was like a, a line. And the thing is, I knew he was keeping a secret prison, but I didn't know he was wiping minds. I found out through this story that he was wiping minds. So I'm like, oh, okay. it's a development. Because it's that, it's that story. It's that, remember, this, it's that story where he points a gun at Black Mask. Oh, and everyone's okay. like, oh, did he kill Black Mask? And you find out that he's he's keeping Black Mask. I guess he wiped Black Mask's his mind and is keeping him, you know, somewhere there. But that was that big fiasco of like, oh, did he kill him? Because he was like, I'm going to do what Batman has never done, yada, yada, yada. But no, I, he's seemingly, uh, you know, erasing people's minds. I think what, what breaks my heart about this um, issue or this story is that I, I do think there are two peas in a pod. You know, he is his his father's son. And so that, 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 that second guessing, that stubborn nature, that less is more when it comes to talking, all that stuff. But man, it's so heartbreaking when you're in each, when you're in both of their minds, when you realize that oh, just one of them talk, like there's a moment, right? Where there's like, they both say, like, say something, you know, like they both want to talk. They both want to breach this yeah, weird yeah. gap of distance that's been created between each other and they can't, they just don't. They don't have what it takes in that moment. What, what do you think that is? Is that just stubbornness across the board? It's absolutely stubbornness, and a stubbornness that's in the blood. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. I might actually pick that annual up. I like annuals. I like annuals because they're usually <laughs> one shots. Yeah, and uh, they might tie into the story. Not always, but um, I, I'm, I'll pick that up. Yeah, definitely. Um, and. Yeah, that annual should be coming soon, hopefully. I don't know how that how, how any of the comic book production is working nowadays. But I am I think I'm gonna go back, see where Damien's at now, and uh try to trace him through to this point here because um it looks like him and Batman are on a collision course. Every so often he finds himself uh in the path of another Robin. Um and this time it's gonna be Damien Wayne. So I I'll, I'm willing to see how he uh best um impresses his father are you do you think that we need a robin on the silver screen oh uh, absolutely 100 percent. this iteration of batman on his own in the beginning of his career and still establishing his villains it's old it's tired now i don't think it's gonna work this time yeah 
And I don't know that there's going to be a next time if this time doesn't work. So we might have missed our opportunity. I'm telling you, you open that door and you put a little uh, a 10-year-old on that doorstep, that's it. That's all you need. <laughs> it's a wrap. We already know all the Batman stuff. Teach us about Robin. Why Robin important? I think he, he's, he's instrumental in, uh, um, in, in a lot of the Batman mythos. And it's stories like this that show it. 80 years is a lot of staying power, bro. <laughs> it's a lot of things. That's a lot of editors. There's a lot of artists. There's a lot of writers. At any point, any of these people could have given up on these characters, uh, these various in- incarnations of Robin, or stop dropping, uh, stop passing on the mantle, and thus cutting off the legacies of a Tim Drake or a Damian Wayne or a Jason Todd. Um, but this character has staying power for a reason. He 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 means something, not only to the world of comics, but definitely to DC Comics, uh, regardless of what Dan Didio believes. But um. I mean, Robin was the first sidekick, no? Yeah, I mean, he has to be, unless when when did uh uh Green Hornet has a sidekick? Yeah, Tom, not Tonto, <laughs> Tonto, Kato, <laughs> Kato. Uh, let me see. Yeah, but I don't know that he was first. So I'm the, trying to. So according to Google, the first sidekick in uh comics is Robin. There it is. Yep, the very without, first. Without Robin, you don't have the superhero sidekick. That's how important he is to comic books in yeah. general, rather than just DC, for sure. And what's also cool is that, you know, he never really... I mean, Damien probably gets it the most now because of the League of Assassins training, but you never get, like, the bat-god moments with Robin. You know, like he's always grounded. He can get hurt. He can be killed. Like these are all things that sometimes you forget about Batman when he's written by some people where his limits are almost invisible. But Robin has always been real in a way. And I think that's what adds to the mythos. For sure. A lot more vulnerable. Yeah. It was good to talk about something that wasn't a flu. Or virus, or cases, <laughs> or quarantines, or curfews. Holy hell. It feels good. It feels good. And it feels good to have you back and seeing us as we're both home for the time being. I'm, I'm guessing you're going to be on a lot more episodes. Are the I people going to be I hearing am. more we're of you? Reading, we, we're in quarantine, so we're going to be reading a lot more comics. It's going to be <laughs> awesome. I, this is like the best worst case scenario for my life. Like I would just like the other, like the social life as well outside. But as far as the inside life, I'm really, really digging what's going down. Um, but yeah, you know, Robin had his 80th anniversary. Our four year anniversary as comic book click is on April 20th, a holiday that will Already? never, ever uh, <laughs> disappear. Man. Um, and yeah, you, if you want to help us celebrate that, go back and listen to every episode of the Major Issues Podcast, uh, which you can find at comicbookclick.com. That's where you can find our entire library, over 110, no, over 210 hours of content talking about all things um, in comic books and comic book media from all kinds of publishers, IDW, DC, uh, Marvel, Boom, uh, and more, uh, Valiant. Um, Bloodshot. We're gonna be coming Bloodshot next week, whether you like it or not. And that's happening. <laughs> that's listen. You only can go by life a quarter mile at a time. A wise man. A wise man. A wise man once said. A wise man once said, "You can only go through life a quarter mile at a time." And um, something about I am Groot. 
but he's he will be tackling that movie that's out now digitally uh, for the world to see. We were going to tackle it two weeks ago, but the pandemic happened and they started showing, shutting down theaters. But next week, we will be covering Bloodshot. But yeah, thanks again for listening to this episode. All the episodes are available at comicbookclick.com. You can um, reach us at all our social media at facebook.com slash comicbookclick, Instagram at comicbookclick, or use the hashtag comicbookclick to find out about the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. We are um, at Twitter at Major Issues CBC. And of course, the podcast, besides being found at comicbookclick.com, is found wherever podcasts are found, which is Podbean, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, YouTube, the Apple Podcast app, the Google Podcast app, Spotify, uh, Tune FM, SoundCloud, and the rest. We are everywhere you are. So find us, especially in a time like now. Reach out. Find us. You you know you know you know this is where you belong and the doors are open. The bandwagon ain't gonna be open for long though. It's gonna get full up really soon. So make sure that you guys jump in while there's still room. I've been to the future. Alright, the future where Damian Wayne and everything's on fire. And I saw that we do become the latest and greatest thing to come to comic books and comic book media. Um oh you know what? I'll add that as well as the our last little bit. Who do you think makes the best Batman? Uh I love Bruce, but I got to say Dick Grayson. It's Dick Grayson's Batman is uh, is because he was so reluctant to do it and ended up being so good at it. Like, go read Batman the Black yeah. Mirror. Go read Grant Morrison's Batman and Robin. Yeah, we're so gonna, good. Those are going on the schedule soon. And um, as far as the Dick thing is concerned, I think what he brings to Robin that's interesting is he doesn't have the rage. He doesn't have the anger, you know? He doesn't have that, that, that thing that clouds Bruce's mind. He has the same detective skills, the same, um, you know, science skills, the same athleticism, but that, that anger isn't there. Instead, he has that benefit of the doubt, which helps and hurts him in various ways. But, yes, definitely get on Black, Batman Black Mirror. Uh, definitely get on the Grant Morrison Batman run. We're getting back to Damian Wayne soon. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. But, uh, yeah, ah, this was so much fun. My name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. This is Jonathan Escudero, a.k.a. Yogi. And this has been our Robin 80th anniversary, 100-page super spectacular. And remember, whether your parents were killed in a trapezing accident, whether they say you have the best butt in comics, whether you got caught trying to take the wheel off the Batmobile, whether you figured out who Batman and Robin were the entire time, whether your ass doesn't fit in a Robin suit, or whether you're the second coming of the Dark Knight himself. Remember, we are all the click. Remember, in this quarantine, we are all safe. And remember, you, yes, you are worthy. <laughs> <laughs>